Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode number 51. I'm your host, Derek Moore, and today I'm going to be talking about should investors ever pay attention to so-called market predictions? Why have they been so wrong? Are they really wrong all the time? And really, I'll just cut to the chase. None of this really matters if you're in a strategy that is long the market being, you know, you own stocks, but you've got downside protection and hedges. So normally, you know, you kind of hide the... Uh, the lead and bury the lead till the end and, and the punchline comes in the end. The punchline's going to come in the beginning. It's like, hey, if you looking at CNBC or reading stuff in the newspaper and you're trying to, you know, you're listening to all these people try and predict what's going to happen in the market, the reality is uh, a lot of times they're wrong and a lot of times not being in the market would have you miss out. Now, uh, most people say, well, wait a second, just be diversified, have a bunch of different sectors and things like that. Well, diversification fails when you most likely need the most. We saw this in 2008, 2009, when sort of everything went down. And we know that diversification can only really eliminate one of the types of risks. That's the idiosyncratic risk, which of course is tied to single stocks or concentrated risk, where something happens in the positions or the sectors you're in, and that draws everything down. The reality is that's probably less than half the risk. And the other risk is that systematic market risk, something like you saw in you know the end of the tech bubble. Uh, although, to be honest with you, the tech bubble really affected the NASDAQ stocks, sort of the tech stocks much more. The Dow Jones and the S&P was not as high, highly valued and did not sell off as much, but that's a story for another time. But systematic market risk is really where the entire market goes down. But often, you know, I'm asked questions. Hey, what do you think the market's going to do? And, you know, I might engage in that conversation. But oftentimes people are wrong. Sometimes they're right, but sometimes they're wrong. And, and why is it that a lot of people make these predictions? So we'll get into some of that today. And recently this came to light because there was an article that was being passed around. I think it's an analyst at JP Morgan. I'll, of course, link to the article. I think I saw it in marketwatch.com. And they, what they did was they looked at some of the predictions and, you know, kind of doom and gloom predictions and said, hey, if you would have taken all your money out of stocks and put all your money into something like the U.S. aggregate bond index, what would you have given up? In other words, what would you have trailed the market? And I'll have a couple things to say on this. And to be fair, uh, it's often, well, not fair to use a point in time uh, one reference point in time, you don't know if the, the prognosticator changed their their prediction or couched it with other language and things like that. But I kind of, if you do a Google search, and I was just curious, sort of some of the, the famous predictions or really um, just things that you might have read over the, the time. And, you know, this is on the bullish side and on the bearish side. Uh, just going back, I kind of Googled and uh, found an article, Hilariously Wrong Stock Market Predictions. This was put out in 2015. And, you know, they, they pointed back to, in 2008, uh, somebody wrote uh, either a book or an article titled Why It's Different This Time. And they were calling for the Dow 30,000, meaning the Dow to hit 30,000 level. Uh, as of the close yesterday, it was sort of right hovering around 28,000. And so... Certainly calling for Dow 30,000 in uh, 2008 turned out to be to be wrong, right? Um, other ones are 
are less about specific numbers, but more. Uh, I think it was, uh, it was 1988, the article saying um, Paul Krugman, who writes for the New York Times, he made the statement, the internet will have no impact on investing. And they, uh, he actually has a, they quoted him as the rate of technological change in computing slows, the number of jobs for IT specialists will decelerate that actually turn down. 10 years from now, the phrase information economy will sound silly. Uh, well, that obviously didn't turn out to be right. Um, somebody else said, hey, you know what? This is back in 2003. Netflix is overvalued. And they cited uh, it trading at 200 times earnings. And by the way, I, I think it, you know, I, I haven't checked on this, but Netflix still trades at a pretty high multiple. But this person said, hey, you know, Blockbuster's film caddy could really take a bite out of Netflix uh, and its earnings along with Walmart's DVD service. Uh, that certainly didn't come to, to fruition. And if you're reading something on credit default swaps, of course, if you don't know what credit default swaps are, uh, they came to light in the 2008 financial crisis. And you can Google that. But essentially, credit default swaps were swap transactions, uh, you know, tied a lot of times to, uh, to, to mortgage bonds and things like that. Uh, but one of the headlines they have here is AIG, who wound up getting bailed out, right? And uh, uh, they had some comments on credit default swaps in 2008. Um, I think this is actually in 2007. And the article quotes here, it's hard for us without being flippant to even see a scenario with any kind of realm of reason that would see us losing $1 in any of these credit default swap transactions. So... Um, and there's, it goes on and on. Uh, Fannie Mae was quoted uh, in 2004 that subprime assets are so riskless that their capital for holding them should be under 2%. Other people kind of said, uh, hey, you know, Google's not a good idea. It's not a long-term thing. Here's another interesting one, too, prediction. And this was from Steve Palmer, the CEO of Microsoft at the time in the article. Um, he's saying that um, basically... And, and nowadays, I think iPhone controls, uh, I think it's over 40, over 45% of the smartphone market. Um, but they, uh, in this article, they were saying that uh, he didn't believe that their market share would ever go, get over 4%. Um, and, and there's a quote in here. Uh, it's not in quotes, but the article seems to, seem, uh, seems to indicate Bomber uh, said this. Um, and he said, uh, you know, my 85-year-old uncle probably will never own an iPod, and I hope we'll get him into a Zune. For those of you who don't know what Zune is referring to, that was Microsoft's uh, music player, their, their arrival to the iPod. But, you know, the point is you can go on and on about If you read and you go on, there's all sorts of predictions on here. And, you know, as I said recently, MarketWatch, and I'll link to all of this stuff so you can take a look at it. And... But MarketWatch uh, highlighted a, a piece that came out. I think I don't know who the, art, uh, the analyst was at J.P. Morgan. But they came out and they said they, they have this graph, uh, the consequences of listening to the Armageddonist. And this is from 2010 to 2019. And what they did was they looked at the performance impact of shifting $1 from the S&P 500 to the Barclays Aggregate Bond Index, and of course, that index holds a variety of bonds, corporate bonds, government bonds, 
different things. Uh, AGG is, let's say, the ETF that that mirrors that. And of course, SPY is the ETF that mirrors the S&P 500. So if you want to take a look and see what the holdings are, you can take a look at that. But they came up with this table. And the the people they cite are anywhere from uh, Nouriel Roubini, uh, Jeff Gunlock, Mark Faber, uh, David Stockman, uh, Peter Schiff, Carl Icahn, George Soros, Paul Krugman, among others, right? And what is interesting is they kind of look, and, and some of these predictions go back further than others, but I'm looking at one that was probably from the mid, uh, let's say, 2000, between 2010 and 2011. And uh, if you had listened and said, hey, you know, get out of the market, um, it's going to crash, you would have trailed the market by, I think it looks like over 60% by switching to bonds. And it's worth noting, that's not switching to cash, which is essentially earning nothing since 2008. That's switching to bonds. And, you know, the U.S. aggregate bond index, uh, although last year was down ever so slightly, um, I mean, we've had certainly more than the rate of inflation. They've had you know years where they're in 7% and things like that. So the point is, if you, if you compare it to cash, it would actually be down, or, or the disparity would be a little bit different. Um, but one of the things that this prediction, they cite this to Rabini, Norio Rabini, uh, who wrote a book on, uh, on black swans, right? Uh, he was saying there's some parts of the global economy, they're now at risk of a double-dip recession. From here on, I see things getting worse. Uh, it turned out that didn't happen. Um, other people, there was a prediction. Let's see, this one was, uh, I think they were calling for 90%. Um, where was this one here? There was one that was actually, okay, here it is. This is one in November of 2012, Rod, Robert uh, Wiedemer. Uh, the data is clear, 50% unemployment, 90% stock market drop, and 100% annual inflation starting starting in 2013. So uh, other people say, look, we've got a much bigger collapse coming. I'm 100% confident the crisis that we're going to have will be much worse than the one we had in 2008. Uh, the crisis is imminent, so this is 2013. I don't think Obama is going to finish his second term without the bottom dropping out, and stock market investors are oblivious to the problem. Um, you know, there's, there's all sorts of ones in here. Um, somebody else, uh, let's see, Paul Krugman again. Uh, right after the, I think it was overnight after the election in 2016, the futures dropped and then they were up uh, quite a bit uh, the next day. Uh, but he was saying, so we're probably looking at a global recession with no end in sight. I suppose we could get lucky somehow, but on economics, as on everything, a terrible thing has just happened. So the reason why I'm, I'm sort of reading these is, and to be fair to all of these people, um, I'm familiar with um, some of these um, or a good portion of these. And, you know, like one of the things, for example, that Peter Schiff would, would point out was the growing, sort of the growing balance sheet from the Fed, uh, easy money, uh, high debt levels, uh, low interest rates, you know, different things like that. And it's, it's interesting, too. I mean, you had people, let's say, calling for the demise of housing in the early 2000s, mid-2000s. And even if they were right, they might have gotten the timing wrong. So this isn't to, to denigrate or to, to make fun of you know, any of these folks who've made predictions. And as, as I said, I mean, the article, in fairness to all these folks, I don't know if they ever followed up with any other predictions or what the context is. 
So in other words, let's say I did a, a news appearance and somebody said, hey, what do you think about the markets? And I said, you know, I think the markets might drop a little bit or go up a little bit. And, um, you know, but if they followed up with me two days later, maybe something changed and the decision changed. So it's, it's important to be fair to all these folks. But the point is that you're reading things in the news and on CNBC, on Fox Business and all these places. And a lot of people make predictions. In fact, um, a lot of times when people have to go on news stations, the, the news, um, they want you to make predictions. They want you to, to say what you think. So um, it was just kind of interesting, though, and it's, it's the idea of that, uh, you know, and, th- and there's more. They even said in the article they could have included, uh, um, you know, like in, was it 2013, somebody said the U.S. Uh, has gone over the demographic cliff and markets will crash this summer. Um, but that, that obviously didn't happen. So here's the thing. Um, you know, predictions, and, and this is my opinion now, I think predictions really started, um, you know, people wanting to make predictions. And I think it started after, at least from my memory, kind of that 87 period. And, and it's, I realized there are people who said things and uh, made predictions, uh, you know, before the, the Great Recession and, and before 2008, before, you know, in, in the 40s, 50s, 20s, whenever it is. But one of the ones, and I'll link to this as well, uh, was the prediction of, of sort of the, uh, the 1987 crash. And I remember this because there was an analyst, Elaine Garzarelli, and I'll link to an article. It looks like it's on her website. It's a reprint of a Wall Street Journal article in October of 1987. This would have been after the crash. And according to the article, it comes out and it says that she turned bearish on September 9th. And she appeared on a Moneyline program. Um, don't remember what what channel that was on. That might have been on PBS. Or maybe I'm thinking about Wall Street Week, uh, where was it? Louis uh, Rukeyser would go around the table, and people would make predictions. And by the way, those predictions didn't usually play out, uh, but they asked for them. Uh, but one of the things that that she said um, is she issued a, a bleak forecast. Um, that the Dow could drop as much as 1300 in a week. Uh, back then, that would have been a really, really big uh, move. And of course, you know, the markets were down uh, around 20%, was it around 20% in a day? Uh, and so that was kind of a famous call. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's one of those things that um, if you make a famous call and it turns out to be right, then for the rest of your career, you're the person who called the 87 crash or the 2008 recession. You know, the reality is a lot of people make calls. Uh, not all are on CNBC. In fact, in late 2007, I was hosting what was called the market huddle uh, for TD Ameritrade. And we were kind of heading up the, the education program there. And during that time, we used to have guests on and we focused a lot on technical analysis. And we saw on long-term weekly charts, what was setting up to be a head and shoulders pattern. And I remember we did a, I wish it was still up there, I'd link to it, but they've, they've since take, taken all those, uh, all that content down. Uh, but during that, that program, that webcast uh, that we used to broadcast out, we actually looked at a head and shoulders with a, myself and a guest who was another technician. And the way that head and shoulders work, if you look at a pattern, it's sort of got like a left shoulder, a head and a right shoulder. And if it breaks down, through what's called the neckline, 
then the target is the distance between the head and the neckline. You, you sort of proportion that or plot that downward from where it would break the neckline. And on the, uh, the weekly char- charts, which means every bar is, represents one week, uh, that actually put us down. I think it was the high 600s on the S&P. Uh, and we just looked at that and said, but well, this is absolutely crazy. I mean, this would be like a, uh, you know, 55% retracement. And it turned out that that was actually the case. And we said that on, on the broadcast, uh, of course, I guess if I would have said it on CNBC, I'd, I could have written the, you know, I'd be the person who called the a decline, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, pointed by the way, on these head and shoulders too, and any of these patterns, they're not right all the time. In fact, they're probably not right uh, even 50% of the time. It's all clues. It's breadcrumbs the market leaves, leaves to try and, you know, make sort of a, uh, you know, an educated guess on what's going to happen next. Um, but remember that, you know, what I said at the start of this was that all of these predictions, does it really matter if you are in the markets and you have downside protections, something like a floor, uh, true hedges on, hedges that either go up in value or avoid losses while the market's going down? And you know, if you just sit there and you read all this stuff and you listen to all these people come on, um, it can get really disheartening and really sort of emotional for you. Uh, but really, if you're hedged, does it matter? I mean, does it really, really matter? Um, nothing too that's interesting. And I mentioned Elaine Garzarelli in 1987. 87 certainly from a multiple standard deviation move on a single day. Um, that statistically was thought of as, as absolutely impossible. And, you know, for a market to go down that much in one day. And I, I went back. And I, I sort of remember this, and I and I remember actually a lot of people who were out of the market in '87. They stayed maybe in cash, or they did something else. Um, and I, I was just fascinated by looking. I'm always fascinated by looking at historical market returns and things like that. And so I pulled up. Uh, there's this uh, J.P. Morgan on the markets, and um, I'll, I'll link to to this as well. Uh, you, and and they publish a uh, kind of a, a, a column chart. And it gives you the just the S and P 500, the index uh, annual returns. So this doesn't include dividends. And for example, year to date, we are up 25 percent as of I think the 25th on the S and P. Last year was down six percent. Of course, that's excluding dividends. But 1987, intra year, one of the things they do is they have a, a red. Uh, dot, and then it tells you what the intra-year decline was. So, for example, in nineteen, in, you know, this year we were down as much as seven percent. Now we're sitting up twenty-five percent. Last year we were down as much as twenty percent, and we ended down six percent. So you think about the intra-year declines. Nineteen eighty-seven, the intra-year decline was thirty-four uh, percent. But surprisingly enough, nineteen eighty-seven was actually positive two percent. And when you include dividends, you're probably north of 5% total return on the S&P 500. So even though, let's say somebody predicted it and got it correct, or people didn't predict it, I mean, if you had hedges on, and let's say you you had a floor in the portfolio around 8 9% down, you know, are you really that concerned with, with a movement that far down? And plus, as we've talked about on previous episodes, if you have hedges, you have things that avoid loss or go up in value as the market's declining to offset the losses, 
you have what's called the hedger's opportunity. So if the markets go down far enough, you actually can cash in those hedges and then look to you know get additional shares when the market's lower. Um, and just to kind of show you the dichotomy of this, I, I looked across the spectrum, and I imagine this is probably 2001, two, maybe around 2002, I think this was. So there were three years in a row that it was down, and then it was down negative 23%, the index only, not dividends. And during that year, it had the same intra-year uh, decline of negative 34%. So 87, same intra-year decline of 34%, but in 87, you wound up positive 2 excluding dividends. And I think this is 2002, you actually were down 23%. In other words, I mean, who, who really knows, right? But if you have protection on the account, uh, it doesn't really matter quite as much. And so uh, I wanted to do this episode. I saw the article and anytime I see those articles, it's kind of like, you know, you see the article, hey, if you would have bought Apple in 1981, you'd have, you know, if you put a hundred or thousand dollars in it, you'd have X number of dollars now. Um, you know, th- those are interesting to read, but they're really not informative and they're really not helpful for investors. Uh, because in 1981, you know, Apple wasn't even in a lot of these indexes. Apple was, uh, the iPhone didn't come out until, uh, I think it was sometime in, was it 2005 or I forget when it came out. Uh, it seems like it was a long time ago, but it really wasn't that much. And so when you read articles that have predictions or you read articles that, show that predictions were really bad. The point is that you shouldn't make a move just because you read something. And, you know, if you have typical standard diversified portfolios with no hedges, no buffers, and we know that all of that, you know, in 2008, the whole market went down. It didn't really matter where you were. Um, but if, if you've got protection in the account, this takes away sort of that that itchy trigger finger to get in or out of the markets because the important thing is just stay stay in the markets, be hedged. Markets come down, and come down uh, you know far enough. You may have an opportunity, the hedgers' opportunity to get in for more shares. Uh, but trying to read all these predictions is just. And you know the thing is uh, with the internet, you have a lot of predictions uh, that now people make, and people can go back and look at those predictions and dig them up. But um, you know, look, it's. It's sort of a fool's errand to try and always follow these things. And the other thing I'll say, too, is a lot of these websites, they know that what they get clicks on is the stuff that scares people. And I don't think it's any secret when markets are down. They probably, I've seen you know, some people have showed me some, some numbers on this. Uh, when markets are down, uh, there's more viewership. So just pay, keep that in mind. Uh, but again, be in the market, be hedged. And if you're hedged and you have downside protection, you know, if you take away some of the worst of what you fear, what is it that you fear then, right? So anyway, I thought this episode would be an interesting one to kind of look back. It's, uh, I've been getting, you know, people have been emailing me this article and I thought I'd react to it a little bit. Of course, the last two episodes we did, I would encourage you to go back and listen to those. We did that on hedging single stock, concentrated stock positions. Uh, you can also go back and listen to the archives. Um, the other thing I would I would say is that uh, I continue to ask you to share the links to these podcasts. Uh, I could sit here and waste time and ask you to you know like it, uh, rate it, give it five stars and all that. But I'd rather just simply ask you to share it with somebody who maybe doesn't know about podcasts. Uh, um, 
I know that podcasts are certainly gaining in popularity and a lot of people have them now. I'm not the first, uh, but I would ask you to share these episodes with somebody if you find it uh, valuable and entertaining or informative. And of course, continue. Uh, I'd love to get emails from people. Uh, you can go to the website, razorwealth.com. Also, uh, you know, the holidays are coming up and I encourage, uh, if you're looking for someone, a gift for somebody, my book, Broken Pie Chart, I will link to the Amazon link. It's available on Amazon. Uh, it's like, there's a Kindle, an e-version, also the hardcover book. But in the book, I actually go through a lot of things with regards to the historicals. I talk about the buffered strategies, the head equity strategies, and also selling volatility. And you know, one thing I'll, I'll just kind of uh, tease a little bit from the book. In one of my chapters, one of the things I looked at was this idea, and, and I'm sort of critical sometimes of how uh, people rely on historical data so much to try and say that that's going to happen in the future. Like if you're using nominal yields on bonds that were 7, 8, 9, 10% on, let's say, the 10-year treasury and including those in the averages, and now we have low rates, to me, that's just, um, it's not a, a great thing because it, it doesn't really pretend to what the future is going to be. But one of the things I found really interesting, uh, just going back over a number of different time periods in the markets. And, you know, the markets run in these cycles and the cycles can sort of last for, um, you know, five years. Sometimes they last for 25 years. And so we think about the average and 1982 to, so this is November of 82 to December of 1999. That was a 17 year period. And if you just look at the Dow Jones Industrial Index and you exclude dividends, excluding dividends, the cumulative return. So in other words, let's say if you bought the index, I'm, I don't remember what the index was in 1982, but you bought the index, um, let's say at $1,000 in 1982, and let's say it went to 1500 by 1999. Um, of course, it went up much more, but that would be a 50% cumulative return. That's not an annualized return, okay? So- 82 to 99, that's over 17 years, the market, the cumulative return was up over 1,000%. That is the best period or cycle um, that I believe we've ever had in history. To put that into perspective, uh, a five-year period, July of 24 to August of 29, that was five years up 294%. Um, 1897 to 1906, nine years up 148%. And of course, the and the way that, that you look at this, it's sort of a, a cyclical bull or bear market. And so you're exceeding a prior high. And so not from the bottom in March of 09, but if we look at January of 11 um, to present, you know, I think we're up, uh, I don't know, probably over 200%, maybe 300%. Um, could, could be right around there. And that's over, what is that? That's over like eight years or something like that. But we also have these periods where there are many, many years without any cumulative return or next to none. Consider that September of 29 to November of 54, that's 25 years. The cumulative return, not the annualized return, but the point-to-point return over 25 years is a little over 1%, excluding dividends, of course. And then you had the, the January of 2000 to uh, December of 2010, that's 11 years, pretty much flat. And so uh, just another little note, I mean, markets move in these cycles. We don't really know 
um, you know, what, when you'll be in what cycle or not. Uh, that's why I always say, you know, be invested, right? Be hedged as, as your core holding and maybe you, on, on, the, uh, on a certain percentage, you could be looking at other alternatives like selling volatility. But we don't know when these cycles are going to be. Uh, but I would also caution everybody from just using the averages because the averages that you get might not be the average um, over many, many years, depending upon what cycle you are. And by all means, next time you see a prediction, take it with a grain of salt. Um, you know, if uh, predictions are like elbows, everybody's got one, right? So with that, hopefully everyone has a, uh, a good start to the, the holiday season. And uh, of course, uh, go ahead. I'll link to Amazon if you want to take a, a look at the book Broken Pie Chart, where I go into a lot of uh, historical stuff in the markets, also get into some of the key strategies. I'd encourage you to check that out. And it will make a great Christmas gift in either hardcover or in the ebook. And please share the podcast. All right, folks, with that, we'll call it there. Uh, We'll be back next week with another episode. 